Yeah, so um, this is the second stream of the day. Uh, this is the very last piece of work I have to do today. I've been talking in some way, shape, or form pretty much for, let's see, I started seven, uh, like 10 hours, I guess. I'm tired. So uh, please bear with the amount of uh, loaded plosives when I speak and the general sense of just, I sound like this now. I'm tired. You want to get started? We're talking tonight about uh, five different things you're doing with your manuscript that maybe you know you're doing, maybe you don't know you're doing, but um, they're fixable things. They are class, classes of things, groups of things, as opposed to specific singular things. Consider this an extended coaching session as opposed to something more critical or more like specific and instructional. I think um, I think this is really going to help a lot of you at least get going again if you feel stalled out or stuck. You want to do this? You ready to go? Yeah, I think I think we can do this. Here we go. Hello there. Gosh, Bruce, yes. I'll get these darn verbs if they kill me. Ah! And now we'll see how good you are. Work complete. Yeah, if you're not careful, I will end up making a whole new theme for things. If you give me, like, you know, enough time early, early in the morning, there's your new intro. I don't have an outro done yet for um, non-writer chat themes. So, hooray, more stream structure. Isn't that lovely? Like I said in the intro, I want to walk through five common manuscript issues and each one of these issues is something that you've maybe done in your work or maybe you're doing it now or maybe you're doing all of them or some of them. It is very, very, very likely you've done at least one of them. Please understand, though, that if you have been doing one of them or more than one of them, this is not uh, a sign or an indication that you need to quit writing or that you need to give up or that you need to throw like a little hissy fit or you need to like, you know, uh, circle the wagons and assume the worst. This is not that. These are significant writing problems. I mean, they're big deal problems. They're problems that will screw your writing, not just in this draft, but book long-term, career long-term, if you're not careful. And I want to address them. I want to kind of walk you through them. The, the problem is there's no one set shape for these things. We can't always say, oh, this problem only and always looks like this, and that problem only and always looks like that. That's why they're classes. That's why they're groups of problems. This isn't just like, here's a comma splice, and here's the universal rule. It's, it's important that you know something about commas, but it is also equally and differently important that you know something about the stuff we're going to talk about tonight. I'm doing this because someone asked me earlier. I'm doing this 
not to make you feel bad about what you're writing or make you feel bad about how you're writing or encourage you in some way to feel like, oh, shit, I'll never get done. That's, that's not at all the point. What I want to point out with highlighting these five issues is that loads of people make this problem. Loads of people all the time. I do this all the time. And it's fixable. And you can get better at it. You can catch yourself doing it. And you can improve. There's something to do about each one of these problems. It's not scary. It sounds bad. It sounds real bad. Some of these have, you know, terrible, terrible names and they're, they're big and indicative of huge issues maybe, but they're also fixable things. And I think it's really important. You keep that in mind when you see this stuff, that it's not just, Oh God, I'm making these errors. And yeah, technically, arguably, these are foundation level errors. If you're doing this stuff, you are setting yourself up to have further problems down the road. But again, doesn't mean you should quit. Doesn't mean you should give up. Does not mean you should start over in many cases. Some cases, yes, but we'll get there when we when, when that shows up, we'll talk about it. But by and large, this whole thing tonight, whether it's 20 minutes long or 25 minutes long or an hour or who knows what, this whole thing is designed to give you a better set of tools for detecting when you're running into problems beyond just an inability to like decide whether or not the lion attacks in this scene. That's a, that is an issue. Not entirely what I'm talking about tonight. So tonight here's five common manuscript issues and what to do with them. We're going to get started with a real simple setup just so we can agree to a few things. Your manuscript whatever it is, whatever genre it is, however long it is, whether it's YA or NA or adult or a romance novel or a fantasy novel or a, a science fiction story or big giant science fiction series or book two in a long ass series or book nine in a series that, you know, you've previously published, but nobody's bought. Doesn't matter what it is. Your book needs to be written. It needs to live outside your head and exist in the world because you're making art. That's the whole point. You make art, but the art, it, it's hard. It's difficult to do. It's super difficult to do. And nobody's art ever, 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 ever is going to be perfect. There are errors of technique. There are errors in specificity. There's errors in skill. There are decisions that are made that seem to break rules. Loads of writers, loads of artists, loads of creatives violate principles all the time. And it's okay. Now, I do want to set this up so that you understand what I'm talking about. There's a difference between somebody who's been writing for 10 years at a high level, skipping or bending a rule, and somebody who's not even done the first page of their first thing, who's never written anything before, also not following the same rule. Rules and structure exist to support and help and teach. And when you get better with the rule and you show some comfort and some fluency with it, then yeah, feel free to break that shit. That's no problem. But by and large, we want to put ourselves in a situation where we understand that what we're making, whatever it is, does not need to be perfect, is not going to be perfect, because there is no perfect in the sense of like universal flawless acceptance. 
What's perfect for me in the moment as a reader is different than what's perfect for you as a writer at the time you wrote it. There's not going to be perfect. To, to try and pursue perfect is, is sort of like, um, it's sort of like doing something and, um, and since you don't immediately get the result you want, you quit. Here's an example. Let's suppose you make lunch for someone. And because they don't immediately appear in the next like 30 seconds and inhale all of it and immediately rave about your food and tell you that you have to make all their meals from now on forever, you quit making food. That's that's the kind of ridiculous expectation I'm trying to like tear away from this because all those ideas about how things should be or what perfect looks like or anything like that, all that stuff is going to kill you, whether it kills you creatively or it kills you emotionally or spiritually or, or mentally in any way, shape, or form. That's, that's a thing. Don't do that. You don't have to be better than perfect. You, you just have to try your best. And if your best needs more work, then you get more work. But there's no good enough... Like there's no bar you have to try and reach in order to just do this. You just start and you get better over time. And where you're at now, wherever you are in your journey to wherever your goal is, is not where you're going to be, you know, in five years, 10 years, a month, whatever. If A, you're disciplined and focused in how you do it. B, you make an effort to substantially improve whenever possible. C, or number three, you ask questions that challenge yourself. And four, you put in practice. You make the effort. You don't blame other people. You don't, you know, turn around and look for the easy reason or excuse as to why something didn't work. It just doesn't work. And you go and try to do something different. You do those things and you keep trying. And you know that this is a long game as opposed to something that's going to be over and done within two minutes. You will get to where you want to go. You really will. But in order to even start having that discussion, we have to get rid of this idea of perfect because it, it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Likewise, last point, these are five problems that every writer, every writer has done or does currently or will do in the future. And famous people do this. Famous authors from ages past do this. This is a thing. These are all five things that happen you'll, you'll be okay. You, maybe you do all five. That's fine. It's fine. They're fixable. Sometimes they're, they're present, but not, you know, egregious. That's okay too. But let's see how many you run into. Let's take a look and talk about each of these five things and see what we can do. Cause let's just have a conversation. How about we get started with overthinking, overthinking, is where you just have ideas. I could do this. I could do that. The character could go here. The plot could be this. The book could be that. It could it could involve robots. It could have bears. It could have a scene in a talk show. It could include a podcast. I could make a podcast. I could make two podcasts. I could, you know, rent a billboard. I could have a story about billboards. I could rent a billboard about a story that like you can you can have a million ideas and not enough decisions. Because writing is the act of making decisions. What goes on the page is what you decide goes on the page. And it's going to be 
good enough because of all the things you could have picked to put on the page, you picked that thing. You wrote that sentence. Is that sentence good enough? I guess. doesn't really matter. Nobody walks around judging and evaluating sentences or anything like that. But out of all the infinite possibilities, you picked a thing, and that's how it is. And that's what we want. We want decisions to not necessarily outnumber your ideas, but we want decisions partnered with ideas to end up on the page. Overthinking, whether we're overthinking the plot or overthinking the story or overthinking what it's like to be a writer or overthinking our marketing or overthinking anything, is based on indecision. We're not making enough choices. And an expectation or an anticipation, sometimes both, of how someone else is going to respond. I got to pick the right thing. Oh my God, if I don't pick the right thing, readers aren't going to read it. If readers don't read it, I'm not going to sell anything. I'm going to be a failure. Oh, what, what's, the, what's the best opening? What's the, what's the right way to open the story? If I don't do that, you know, the agent isn't going to like my thing. I'm going to get rejected. I'll never find an agent. I'll never publish. I'll end up, you know, living not even in a van down by the river. I'll end up living in like a cardboard shanty town. Expectation and anticipation meaning the idea of if I do this, then they'll react like that and then that'll be okay. And it's all built on the what if of somebody saying something or doing something. Expectation and anticipation ruin this because what you're trying to overthink, what you're trying to deduce in like extended lines of thought is something that has no material basis. You are expecting something to happen. There's a chance it could. Yeah, sure, absolutely. If you wrote a paragraph in your story about a, a robot that attacked, a, uh, I don't know, uh, attacked a senior citizen center, sure, yes, somebody might like that. Somebody might not like that. But if, if you start building your definitely goes on the page stuff based on the anticipation and possibility of someone liking it or not liking it, you're not building from the best foundation. Your decisions, your choices, your comfort. Do you like the idea? Does it make you happy? Is it something you would like? That's what goes on the page. And if you're overthinking, well, it could go this way and it could go that way. What would you want right now off the top of your head? Yeah, it could do 15 things. We could have fucking birds with cell phones. We could do a load of things. Something, anything, please, on the page. You can always change it later because there is no perfect. Every choice is the right choice because you're the one doing the choosing. And we can always go back and fix it. We can always tweak it. We can always reevaluate it a million billion times. That's a whole separate other kind of overthinking. We'll talk about that in a second. But you can do anything. Just put something down. Not I'm seeking the right thing out of all the wrong things. We don't want such binary thinking here. We just want to make some decisions. We just want to organize those decisions. And anything that makes the page is great. Get in the habit of putting your idea on the page and dealing with consequences, fallout, or how to tie it together with other ideas. Second, we can get more organized. But... Breaking the habit of having too many ideas and not enough decisions creates really loose, ill-conceived, often illogical work. 
there's just a ton of stuff happening. And it doesn't really seem to have any rhyme or reason as to why this thing or this sentence comes after this thing or that sentence. And it just seems like it's very busy. Loads of people doing loads of things, loads of descriptions, loads of separate distinct stuff. But none of it feels coherent other than the fact that you've just written it all next to each other in paragraph form. Decision-making is everything. It's everything. When in doubt, when you're stuck, just pick something and make a decision. I don't know how this scene should end. What would happen? Okay, so what's that scene? Well, yeah, you know, he could kick the guy. He could punch the guy. He could he could hide behind the couch. He could cast a magic spell. Sure, he could do all those things. Pick one of them. Well, I only want to pick the right one. Whatever one you pick is going to be the right one. You can't make a wrong choice. You're the one writing this. You get the final say. Just pick something. The only way we're going to get better, the only way you're going to improve as a writer is by making a decision and then trusting yourself to be able to craft a story involving and utilizing that decision. So if you decide in this made-up fight scene that, yeah, I guess the thing the character does is hide behind the couch, well, then that's the right move. That's what happens. The person hides behind the couch, and then we move on to the next question, which is, if they're hiding behind the couch, what happens next? And we just make another decision. And then another one after that, And we keep doing that until we're done. You're in charge. Not the reader, not your future possible agent, your pimp, not your publisher, not your editor, not even me. If you get me as a writing coach, you're in charge. What do you want to have happen? You can't make a wrong choice. Just make any choice. That doesn't mean you have to go the other way, though, and make the the quickest choice fastest. Like, you're not going to get an extra bonus point or, like, extra magic cookies because you didn't think through. You made some snap decision and just moved on. Because if you just keep making snap decisions, it is possible, not always likely, but possible, you will forget that these decisions have to have a logic with each other. So, for example, in our our made-up action scene, if our character goes and dives behind that couch... If you all of a sudden decide that this is the moment where they see the ducks fly across, you know, the pond out front, the hell is that? Why, why bring that up? Yes, it is a thing that could happen, but not everything that you decide needs to be on the page in this moment is best seated right there in that moment. We can have the ducks. That's fine. The ducks aren't the issue. It's the fact that you've, in the middle of this action, beat, brought the damn ducks up. Any choice is a good choice because you're in charge. And we can always shuffle pieces around. You can always rebuild things. But for those of us out there who tend to overthink and therefore not act, oh, I I could market this book a million different ways. I I could do this. I could talk about this stream. I could have a stream about this. I could have a stream about that. You know, I'm, I'm really tired. Maybe I shouldn't have a stream. No, I promised I should have a stream. I should have a stream with graphics that look like this. And you just paralyze yourself with a million things that could be. The solution is decisions. The solution is being straightforward and not worrying so much or trying to anticipate so much other people's responses or expectations, but just making decisions on your own for you as the writer because you have to produce the thing and trusting yourself to be able to take action from those decisions. You can do that. You do it all the time. You just don't give yourself enough credit when it comes to writing 
probably because you're not valuing yourself enough in that process. You're not saying that you are, you are, if we'll say this another way, you are devaluing yourself and overestimating the value of the reader. Yeah, the reader is important. Absolutely. I'm not saying the reader is not important, but you as the writer are equally as important because they can't read what you don't write. And it's not about trying to guess the things that make them happy. It's about you having your idea and producing it in a way that makes you happy and connects with them and makes them happy. You don't have to try and solve their problem. You don't have to try and be good enough to make them like you. You have to produce your story in a way that you like because you like you. Make sense? That's where we're starting. On we go to the next thing, though. Problem number two, underwriting. Oh, boy, howdy. Oh, boy, howdy. I see this one a lot. This is the idea. This is what happens when you know what you want to say, but you don't say enough about it. You think that because it's clear to you when you wrote The Living Room or The Dragon or they had a fight scene or something, you know what you meant. So you don't describe it any more than what you need to communicate your idea. And then we can just move on because we don't want to take too long because we don't want to bore people. We don't want them to be bored. I don't know what that means. Like, you can't determine when the reader is or isn't bored. You're not in charge of that. You can't control that. The reader only knows what you tell them. And they only know to picture what you tell them to whatever degree because you've told them things. If you say, the living room, okay, that gives me a rough idea, but I'd like more information, please, because do you want me to picture the living room in my grandparents' house? Do you want me to picture my living room in my great-grandmother's house? Do you want me to picture the living room of that lady who I looked in her window once when I was dropping off groceries? Like, say more. Yes, you have to say more. That's the whole point. Every sentence is a camera. And with you not detailing enough, saying enough and telling us what to picture... How is the reader supposed to engage with what you're writing? A lot of writers who deal with underwriting move way too quickly because they don't stop and consider that the other person, the reader, on the other end of this transaction between I wrote a thing and you read a thing, they don't consider that the reader doesn't know anything. They're coming cold to your idea and you have to inform them. And you have to bring them up to speed and help them learn how to see what you see when you describe a thing. Many writers, when I say that, freak out. Maybe they don't demonstrate their freak out, but they get pretty upset about that because all of a sudden this seems like work. And this is one of those things that really causes people to give up on writing. Because, yeah, you have to detail stuff. You can't just say the bare minimum and get out of the way because that's not the job. The job isn't to try and turn everything into a haiku or turn everything into like dull beige spaces because you get bored with writing it. So you don't want to write it. You only want to write the active stuff. That's not what writing is. We don't only paint with one color. We don't only do like one particular kind of movement with the brush. We don't only describe music with one note. We use the whole palette. We go for the whole range. 
because we want more than just, we want to do more than just demonstrate that we've done a thing. We're trying to connect and engage with other people, which means your description and your development matter. And if we move too quickly, somebody's going to get lost somewhere. And we don't want that. Not because we have to demand the human race's entire population pay attention to us every second of every day, but because our goal is to connect with the other person on the other end of this book. And we can't build that connection if we're not giving them things to connect with. Inadequate description and underdevelopment, inadequate development, and moving it all too fast, just hitting a thing and moving on, hitting a thing and moving on lead to underwriting. Underwriting, if you want a technical definition, is a lack of transmission, not getting my idea across, and an assumption that you're being clear when you're not. And that stems from an inability or a dislike or a disinterest or just a lack of knowledge that you have to take the complete picture in your head, the whole thing, and pick and choose parts of it to relay on the page. I, right before this stream, I had dinner. I'll, I'll tell you what dinner I had. I had just a small little thing of spaghetti with a little bit of sauce and a little bit of cheese because I'm tired. I got my flu shot today. I'm not feeling all that great right now. So I wanted something just comforting and carb-loaded. I ate it in a bowl. I ate it at my dining room table. I'm not giving you any other detail. If I only give you those details, you have a few things to focus on. You can focus on me not feeling well, on the bowl, on the pasta, on the sauce, on the cheese, and the fact that I ate it at a table. But any other detail beyond that, I'm not providing you, which means you have to do a fair amount of work if you want to start detailing anything else. You have to start making stuff up, which does not match my description, because I've withheld part of my description. I didn't tell you what color the walls were. I didn't tell you what color the rug is. I didn't tell you where the cat was on the table or not on the table. I didn't tell you if I was listening to music or an audiobook at the time. I didn't tell you how many lights I had on. If I, you know, where did I sit? Did I, what did I have to drink? I didn't mention any of those things. So you have to start filling in the blanks. Up to a certain point, you have no problem filling in the blanks. John had spaghetti. Okay, pretty straightforward. But if you want more detail because you want to focus the reader on following me, the character, having the spaghetti, you're going to have to make some stuff up. Like, was it angel hair? Was it linguine? It was angel hair. Like, was there a lot of sauce? What, what kind of sauce? Was it a cream sauce, a tomato sauce? How much cheese? What kind of cheese? All those particulars that I know what I meant when I said I had spaghetti with sauce and cheese. I'm not giving you the full breadth of the picture in my head. And I need to. Because my goal in making whatever I'm making is not to give you like a direct Xerox, you know, flawless picture from what it was to what I want you to picture. I want to come close. I want to aim for 80 to 90%. Why not 100%? One, if I chase 100%, I'm going to get frustrated. Because invariably, I'm going to say something like, a dining room table. And you're going to picture something that is not specifically what I want. Even if I gave you like the, the company where I got it from and the, and the color and the wood type and all that, you still might not picture it perfectly. And I, I can't 
because I lack telepathy and other mental powers, I can't give you 100% transmission. So there's no point trying to chase 100% transmission. I'm aiming for 80 to 90% because I want you to engage with me. I'm going to tell you what, what the dining room table looks like, what the meal looks like, where the cat was, what I was rocking out to while I ate, what I was thinking about, all that stuff. But I'm leaving some details out and I'm leaving things a little bit vague here and there because I want you, the reader, to bring your baggage in. Because let's say you don't like spaghetti and sauce and cheese. Maybe you're allergic to tomatoes. If I had a tomato sauce, I had a tomato sauce. Maybe you don't like, you know, Italian cheese. Maybe you just don't like pasta. You find it bland. You're bringing those assumptions and those things in, and you are letting that influence the size of the meal. Maybe you heard me saying, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling so great right now, so you assume the portion size is smaller. It was on the small side, but how small is small? Was it like just two noodles spooled into a little nest, or was it like one good you know, spoonful, one good amountful? Me giving you a little bit of that latitude, me giving, you know, in that 80 to 90%, and then you filling in the other 10 to 20%, gives us or builds us a relationship between reader and writer, or writer and reader, depending on how we're talking. That relationship is everything. That's what I want to cultivate because when I talk about, oh, I'm tired, I don't feel good, and I had a, you know, a pretty comforty dinner, and now I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm trying to relay not just the fact and information of what's going on, but I'm relaying, you know, the atmosphere, and I want you to think and feel the way I do. I would not want you to feel as blah as I do. It's the flu shot. It's kicking my ass. It it always does. I don't want you to feel exactly the same way I do. I don't even want you to be 1,000 million percent hyper-informed as to what every cell in my body is going through. But if I can get you somewhere in the ballpark, somewhere in the vicinity of, John's tired, he's had a long day, then that'll carry us forward into the next thing. Underwriting is where you don't build that bridge. Underwriting is where you are relying on your knowledge of something to be enough as opposed to wanting to develop that reader-writer relationship. So your job is not to get through the story as quickly as possible in the fewest amount of words. Your job is to express your idea to that reader who doesn't know anything except what you tell them. They have some preconceived notions. They have some expectations. But you're trying to strike a balance between their notions and expectations and the reality, I'm making air quotes, the reality of what you're creating. You don't have to rush. You don't have to do this as quickly as possible. I understand you as a reader don't like, you know, detailing things. You don't like reading a lot of detail. But your responsibility as a writer is to communicate every sentence as a camera and communicate the breadth of the image to the best of your ability so that somebody else knows how you want them to feel and what you want them to imagine. That's problem two. On we go. Problem three is related to underwriting in the sense that it is now underdeveloping. Underdeveloping isn't so much about the words on the page, but it's the idea that you're making from the words on the page. Underdeveloping is where you have an idea and you just haven't thought it through. Often this results in sort of plot threads getting dropped 
or character elements getting introduced and then never used, or um, you think some action or some character or some idea is communicating in a certain way. Ah, this is a mystery. This is a red herring. Aha, you're never going to guess it. But then you don't really develop it because, again, it makes sense to you, but the full breadth of it, the full detail of it, the depth of it is not making its way onto the page. Underdevelopment is a lack of planning. And it comes from when you think a thing has less reason to be on the page than it does. That's not a big deal. Why do I have to talk about that so much? Because that need to talk about it, the, the utility, utility is the idea in writing that you can use a thing in a story for a number of whatever means. It can be in a scene. It can be a character fly. It can be a plot point. It can be a statement. It can be a, a feeling, a mood, an atmosphere. What you put on the page matters and it has a use. We're aiming for things that are useful, that have high utility. When you think a thing doesn't have high utility, there's no reason to really plan anything around it because it's a kind of a throwaway little detail. Like, who gives a shit about that thing? We're trying to avoid that. And we're doing that by going back and thinking and making decisions. On a scene level, this is, okay, here's why this scene is in this book. It's a nice scene. It might be a complete scene. It might be a really nice conversation between two heated rivals. It might be a great sex scene in a romance novel. It might be a really cool scene with two wizards in your fantasy book. Could be loads of things. But why is it here? Other than the fact that I just wrote it. Why is it here? That's important. Now, a lot of people solve an underdevelopment problem with justification. Justification is a monster. Justification is the idea of, I said this thing in a book. I made this scene up. I created this situation. So I have to go find a different way down the road and re-involve it. All of a sudden, oh my God, everybody cares about Nike shoes. Because that's what I wrote. So now I have to find a plot, a sub, 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 sub plot to do with Nike shoes. Oh my God, they're watching basketball. Somebody somewhere better mention basketball, otherwise it's going to be a lost plot thread. No, that's not how plot threads work. But justification is the idea or the thinking that since I made a thing up, since I brought a thing up, I have to do something with it. I have to give it a huge amount of utility because the amount of utility I gave it just by its existence must not be enough. I'm undervaluing it. Don't. Don't. Just think through things and be willing to sort out and accept the fact that some of the stuff you wrote doesn't need to move forward from draft to draft. You don't need so many things. You don't need so many subplots. You don't need so many point-of-view characters. I'm talking to you fantasy writers. You, you don't need that much. You're still going to tell a complete story with six characters. What the hell are seven and eight doing? Why? Here's an example. The Hobbit. Can you name any of the dwarves other than Thorin? Go ahead. I'll wait right here and have a sip of tea. Go ahead. All those dwarves have incredibly low utility. Why? Because they're just in a kid's story. 
and they have silly rhyming names. That's their point. That's their function and value. When you go look at the movie, well, we had to invent certain situations for random British actors to have something to do. But beyond that, they don't really matter. We don't need them. If we were going to tell a more focused Hobbit that's more dramatic or intense, we'd focus on a few characters. And we have, a, you know, a dwarf or two in the background. But we wouldn't need, like, eight of them. That's wild. Underdeveloping requires us to think our way through things. And you want to get in the habit of not just thinking one step ahead. Okay, I'm going to write this, and then I'm going to write that. I'm going to put them in the airport, and then I'm going to put them on a plane. And my thinking stops there. And when I get them on the plane, then I'll think about, okay, they're on the plane, then they land. And then they land, and then they go to the hotel. There's nothing inherently wrong with just being one step ahead. Nothing wrong with that at all. But for greater effect, better organization, better development overall, when you get them in the airport, it might be useful to start thinking about, okay, airport, airplane, landing, hotel. If you want to bring up something from the airport way further ahead in the hotel scene, it would help to lay that groundwork and connect those dots more effectively. Think several steps ahead. It's hard to do. A lot of people are ill-equipped for it and need to practice it. Likewise, if you have a lot going on in your story, even if it's just in first person with a single plot, you got to consider multiple things happening while you're doing whatever you're doing. So yeah, Characters at the airport, characters getting on a plane, characters flying, they land, they go to the hotel. Those are our steps, sure. But while that's happening, maybe they're, they're thinking or stewing over the emotional thing that happened that got them to the airport. Or maybe they're worried about the main plot. And maybe while that's happening, they're worried about, I don't know, Cthulhu asleep in the ocean. Developing that sense of, I'm thinking several steps ahead, and here's my thinking, this to this to this to this as well as while this is happening, this is going to happen. And once this occurs, we have this, this, and this conditionally related to it. Develop the full breadth of your thinking rather than just thinking about the quantity of things. Oh, there's this, the story has a war and a coffee machine and an espresso bar. And then everybody has a salad and there's this and that and this and that. When we talk quantity like that, all we're doing is trying to show off how creative we are. We're validation seeking. Look at me. I made up all these things, which is nice and good. And you deserve a pat on the, you know, the pat on the head. And I hope you get a gold star and a cookie. But it's not just a matter of showing your reader or an agent or an editor or a pimp or a whomever how creative you can be. This is not daycare we are not looking to get like a, a, a magic special moment with a happy toy in, a, in, the, in the fun corner. We are looking for an ability to organize and wrangle thoughts. There's nothing wrong with taking your time and doing some planning, whether you want to call that planning outlining, whether you want to call that planning just making some notes, that, that's fine. But do some. It will help you. It will help you a lot. 
When in doubt, in order to make more decisions possible, remember the first slide about decision-making, planning helps reinforce decisions. Rather than constantly and only, oh, I'll just figure it out at the time. I'll figure it out when I write it. Sure, in some cases, that's totally a great solution. But when that becomes the only way you solve a problem, you run the risk of running out of, like, natural logic in the story. Things feel rushed. They feel hasty. Things don't feel developed. Things feel messy. Things feel like they're missing other parts. And then the, it feels erratic and your pacing's off. And then slowly the whole story unravels. We can avoid all of that by doing some planning. Everybody good so far? Uh, I see people came in. Hello, chat. Let me get another mouthful of tea. And then we'll keep on going. Problem number four. We're almost done. Problem number four. Oh, overcomplicating. This might be the most common thing I run into. People love to overcomplicate shit. People love to have too many ideas and just too much stuff. They usually do it for three reasons. Maybe it's one of three. Maybe it's two of three. Maybe it's all three. Like we talked about before, they're doing it for approval. Look how creative I am. Aren't I good? Isn't it good that I did this? I have all this stuff. Isn't that cool? Or they're attention seeking. Look at me. Look at me. Look at my book. I made all this stuff. And three, they're trying too hard. Usually when I teach this, I usually only teach the first two. I only ever talk about approval seeking and attention seeking. But more and more lately, I've been folding in this third idea, this idea of trying too hard. This idea that there's something writers can do that they, they themselves aren't doing and therefore they're not a writer. Writers behave a certain way. Writers use certain software. Writers engage with the material. They act this way. They do these things. And since you don't do those things or don't have that software, you're not a writer. And there's behaviors and thought processes and, and notions and some kind of social contract that means you have to change something fundamental and do something elaborate in order to be a writer. And, and you don't. You don't have to work so hard at it. A lot of people paralyze themselves beyond rigidity and even beyond writer's block by thinking that the act of writing, you know, just the mechanical process of I'm having words on page, that there's something more to it and that it can't always be easy and that it has to be a struggle and that it has to be difficult and it has to be a lot and when you partner this with the idea that they, they must suck at it because they typically don't support themselves and, and they lack support from others, so they frequently engage with material in a way that assumes their fault. Oh, I suck. That's why I have a hard time with this. It's always bad. I always fuck this up. Let's see how many mistakes I make this time. And therefore, they're always putting themselves at a disadvantage, which means they always have to try hard to at least attempt to make the bottom of a threshold they assume everybody else has already made. And, and you don't. It's okay if sometimes the writing is easy. It's okay if sometimes you don't feel some need to be extra elaborate. 
It's okay if you don't have like 10 fucking plots. It's okay if you only have five characters and the whole story takes place in a college dorm. It's okay if your romance novel only has two sex scenes. It's okay if your romance novel has 75 sex scenes. doesn't matter if it's in space or if it's down the street. doesn't matter if you have a subplot or a plot twist or this, that, or the other. You don't have to try so hard. Just try your best. There's a huge difference between I did the best I could and I did what I thought a writer had to do. Because th- there's no universal, like template for that your manuscript does not need to be complex in order to be good enough you don't have to try and fill it with stuff in order for it to be good enough other people's books are not the measure not the yardstick you should be using to sort out your own book it just no This is especially true if you have a first draft and you're looking at somebody's published book. You don't know how many drafts it took. You don't know how many edits it went through. You don't know half, at least half, of what that other book went through. You are comparing your bread dough to their fully baked loaf of bread and complaining that your barely put together dough that you just started making isn't as good as their finished thing. Of course it's not. It's not the same thing. You just started making it. They've had their stuff done for a while. It's not about trying to be good enough or be better than somebody else. Stop that. And you're certainly not going to have to get there by trying to be complicated about it. Look how elaborate all my shit is. The reader's going to not care. It doesn't matter if that reader is an agent, a pimp, or an editor, or a publisher. They're not looking for complication. They're looking for a thing they can sell. Complication and saleability are not related, despite what social media is going to try and tell you. Complication does not always demonstrate that you are a better writer or a more clever writer or a more significant writer or that your head's farther or less up your ass than somebody else. It just means you filled this space, this manuscript, with a lot of stuff. And you didn't need to. All that needs to be there, all that needs to be there, is that whatever choice you've made, remember the act, the act of making decisions, all that's there is the best narrative choice for the time. Not necessarily the simplest choice, not necessarily the easiest choice, not the fastest choice. In the moment, whatever happens, whatever's on the page, does it do the best job at trying to accomplish what you want? If you're trying to have somebody, you know, feel sad as a reader, oh my God, I can't believe they killed grandma in the book. The decision you, what you produce, what you choose to put on the page only has to, uh, you know, adduce, to draw out from the reader a sense of sadness. Oh, my God, I can't believe they killed Grandma. You crafting a Rube Goldberg machine of, you know, 200 moving parts on every other page in this book that have finally killed Grandma is clever. How novel, <laughs> that's a word bun, how, how novel it was in the unique special way that you killed Grandma off. But if you want me to feel sad about Grandma being dead... I'm not really going to be as impressed with how grandma died. Because if you want me focusing on the how she died, 
the fact that she is dead becomes less of a factor because you got me focused somewhere else. You don't have to overcomplicate stuff. That's what I'm saying. You just don't need to. Make the best narrative choice for right now. Yeah, we can change it later. Super totally change it later. Just make the best choice now. Now I'm going to get a mouthful of tea and answer this question in chat. Ugh. Out of all the... Hi! It's good to see you again. Out of all the manuscripts you've worked on that are either too simple or overcomplicated, which do you see more often? I see overcomplicated way more. And I think that's... That's a great question. I think that's because people assume nobody is simple. That simple's automatically bad, so I can't be simple. I have to make it complicated. And then I think they start guessing as to how complicated somebody else is making it. And they turn it into, well, if they made it complicated, I have to show that I'm better. So I'm going to make it more complicated because I don't want it to be boring. I don't want it to be bad. I don't want it to be simple. Somehow simple turned into, into wrong and is not. There is, this isn't right and wrong. We're not, you know, this, we're not trying to like do a math problem in front of the whole class. We are trying to make a picture show up in the reader's brain. The right and wrong of it, if you absolutely positively have to have a right and wrong, is did I get this picture accurately in your brain or not? But way more often, I see people who are grossly overcomplicating things. And sometimes that's because they've seen a lot of media that had multiple authors and multiple episodes, like a big long series with a lot of people contributing on the regular. And they're looking at like seven seasons in and they have this big, amazing, you know, gut punch moment. And they want that in their first draft, which is fine. You can have that, but it took that other show you're thinking about seven seasons of 20 episodes a piece with all the other baggage and all the other stuff. And you're just trying to take the end result and race off to it. Or you're going to look and say, ah, well, if I have this thing happen just the way the same show did, I'll get the same net result. If they have a redemption arc, I'll do a redemption arc. You don't, you don't need to. Overcomplication, I think, is attractive because, uh, unfortunately, we have made cleverness more important than skillfulness you got to show off how smart you are. Uh, I call this the Moffat problem. you got to show off how smart you are as opposed to writing well. I'm guessing I see a lot of this in fantasy. I do see a lot of this in fantasy. You know how many like weird kingdom power vacuums there are as opposed to romance? No, I see, the, I see this in a lot of romance too. Why can't these two characters fall in love? Well, they're not only from the wrong sides of the tracks. They're also like deeply committed to two very different social circles and we just can't randomly have like that guy show up that would be weird or vice versa she just can't enjoy things it crosses so many genres just because the overcomplication in fantasy is really really super apparent like everybody and their moms writing early seasons of game of thrones 
but it, you can you can over uh, overcomplicate romance and try to manufacture all these different reasons why our characters have yet another fight, yet another partial breakup, yet another sex scene when they get back together, and then oh by the way, I guess I have to move the plot forward. Or in a western, how many random strangers are going to come to town to test our hero's quick draw at noon? Or in a sci-fi story. How many ancient prophecies are we going to have to say that the hero is the chosen one? Like complication crosses genre lines because writers feel that a story that's simple must inherently be bad, that it doesn't demonstrate enough of their skill, that it won't be popular, that it won't sell well, that it won't be attractive to someone else. I'm sure there are other reasons, but those are the ones that immediately come to mind. A simple story told well is going to be more effective than an overcomplicated one told averagely. An overcomplicated story told well is not better than a simple story told well. You don't get more bonus points just because you have more shit going on. It's just different. It's the difference between... I have like a big Thanksgiving dinner with a main course and a lot of side dishes that took a lot of time and effort and it's all delicious and I can, you know, become a little bit of a glutton and just load up my plate. That That's different and good and satisfying than like, I got a cheeseburger and fries. Simple. Easy. Both are good. Both solve a problem. Both can be tasty. Both can be helpful but they're two totally different things and one is not automatically better than the other universally. There are times for a cheeseburger and fries. There's times for a, there's time for a holiday meal. Learning when it's time for one or the other is part of how a writer grows and develops. Here's a scene. Here's a problem in a scene. How do I want to solve this problem? Do I want the cheeseburger? Do I want the turkey dinner? Maybe I don't want either. Maybe I want to do like you know, whatever the middle of the road is, like a, a moderately complicated but tasty meal. I don't know, like taco night or kebabs or something. Loads of things in between there. You don't have to overcomplicate everything. Good question. Very, very good question. On we go to our fifth and final problem. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Problem number five is failing to finish. This one Originally, way back when, like two weeks ago, when I figured I'd, I'd have this as a thing I would stream, there were just going to be four problems. I was going to stop at complication and call it a day. And then I started talking to a lot of writers. For whatever reason, in the last week or so, things have been busy, like crazy busy. Busy to the point where I thought there was some kind of like major event going on and like everybody needed a writing coach in order to participate. Like I, it feels great to be busy. I love it. I'm tired, but I'm happy tired, but I've talked to a lot of people. And before we've even talked about like, what are you writing and what are you trying to do? Almost all of them lately have been bringing up to me this idea of, I can't finish this thing or I'm not done yet. Or it's taking too long to be done. And they get frustrated and they get discouraged, so they give up. I hate that they give up. It bothers me that they give up. Not because, all right, so here, we'll have a moment, you and me, right? 
there used to be a very long moment in my life where I would get mad at people who quit because I would say to myself, God, if only I could help them more, they wouldn't quit. It's on me the reason they quit. It's my fault. Things have changed. I've mellowed in my old age. I've gotten differently cranky, whatever you want to call it. It's no longer my fault that you quit. It's your fault. You quit. I didn't want you to quit. I didn't think you needed to quit. I don't want you to quit, but you chose to quit. I'm okay with that. It sucks. Not even from a, I'm no longer getting paid to be your coach thing. That sucks too. But it also quits that you, you know, it sucks that you quit. It sucks that you don't think you're good enough because you're totally good enough. The vast majority of the time, vast majority of the reasons why people don't finish things is because they either lack support, whether that's cheerleading or whether that's somebody holding them accountable or whether that's somebody doing both or whether that's somebody celebrating victories. They lack some kind of support underneath their creativity. They're just doing it and they feel like it doesn't matter if they do it or not. There's nobody there to tell them they're doing good. There's nobody there to encourage them. There's nobody there to push them. There's nobody there to help them. They're just sort of doing it out there in space alone. That sucks. That really sucks. So there's not enough support. And combine that with a lack of a coherent plan. They're busy, stuck, thinking about how I'm going to do this scene, then I'll do that scene. And then the next day I'll do the next scene. And then the next scene. One thing after the other. And we're not really thinking long term. We're not thinking beyond one step. We're not thinking, okay, airport, plane, flight, landing, hotel. We're thinking airport, maybe security check-in, maybe waiting at the gate, maybe. And then we get them on a plane. And then we're going to, I don't know, skip time and jump ahead in the book for reasons. Your plan should include more than just what's going to happen next in the book. Your plan can also include, I want to talk about this. I have an idea for a theme. I want to make sure I have this kind of scene. I want to know that because I wrote this scene and I'm really proud of it, I want to figure out a way to put it in the marketing. Your plan demonstrates your long-term goal. Yeah, I understand. You're writing your first draft. There's a lot of shit to juggle. It feels overwhelming. That's where the support comes in. And once you're feeling supported, and once you're feeling encouraged, and once you're done being, you know, a little hysterical and a little overwhelmed performatively, as some writers can be, then you move to a plan. And you build a plan that actually accomplishes stuff. Not just, I have a plan. It's, it's whatever's good and I do it. Or I'm doing what everybody else is doing. Because that's not a plan. That's just copycatting everybody. Your plan should be tailored for you. Your plan should be tailored to what your strength is. Your plan should not be based in, I only need this goal in order to be good and anything else is failure. Your plan should be rooted in, I can do this to get me that result and grow from there. Not finishing, walking away, quitting, giving up, bailing, whatever you want to call it, is so common. It is more common to fail, to fuck up, to walk away, and to do that blaming something else or blaming yourself than it is to finish. And it can be scary to be done, and it can be scary to be almost finished. 
and it can be scary to have finished and then realize you still have more to do. That fear can keep people from moving forward. That's a big problem. It's inflated by things like social media. It's inflated by things like expectation. It's inflated by things like assumption. But you don't need to carry them. You can put them down. You can reduce their size. A lot of people fail without really making progress because they think the work they do has to look a certain way in order to count. And I see this with writers who complain that they don't write enough. There are a lot of writers who talk about, ah, I wish I had more time to write. Okay, make some. And then here come the excuses. Well, I'm really tired after work. There's so much more I have to do. I can't even remember the last time I wrote. When I last wrote, it wasn't any good. I used to be able, here's where the death comes, here's where the, the danger bell comes in. I used to, back in the day, write you know, for a long time, and I can't seem to do that ever since. Do you ever stop and think about why that is? Do you ever take a look at the expectations you're holding? Do you ever think about the goals you have? Are you, are you trying to legislate the future by holding it accountable with the past? Are you, are you trying to, you know repeat something that is unrepeatable, not because you're a bad person, but because time has passed and things don't work that way anymore. This is what support and a plan can help you with. You are okay. You might even be good. You can always get better. That's not because you are at such a deficit. You need to be better. Like you don't have to be 11 feet tall to be at the bottom of where everybody else is. But you can always improve from where you're at thanks to support and thanks to a plan and thanks to reducing your expectations. Not because you suck and you'll never accomplish anything, but because if you blow up your expectations, you're just making it harder for yourself to succeed. Your skill, wherever your skill as a writer is, whether that's I've written one book, I've written two books, I've written five books, I've published, I'm not published, I can't finish a fucking draft, I stall out after chapter four, I can't get more than 100 words, I haven't written in 10 years, whatever. Wherever your skill is at and wherever your rate of work is, that's how frequently you write. Those two factors can both change independent of each other and in conjunction with each other. And when they change at any rate with or without the other, it can change your trajectory towards your overall goal. But none of that's going to matter. None of that's going to count. None of that's going to be any good. If you're so fixated, locked into, dug in on the idea that your goal has to be this one certain thing or that your goal is something nebulous and impossible like, I need to be better or I need to write the best book of whatever genre you're writing. If you're thinking that or saying that, or you're currently using that as the North star by which you orient, I need you to consider quitting. Yeah, that's a bold ass statement, but you're not going to get there and you can prove me wrong. Go ahead. I've been proved wrong before, but if you set a goal so high and uh, a level of success so rare and then don't do anything to match it. You don't spend enough time training your skill. You don't increase your rate of work. 
you just keep doing less and less, poorer and poorer with less support and no plan, of course you're not going to make your goal. Of course you're not going to make your goal. You can change your goal. You can change your goal anytime. A better goal is a goal you can accomplish. Not because you suck and you can't set lofty goals, but there's no point in giving yourself goals you'll never accomplish. There's no value in trying to determine that, yes, in fact, you do suck. Like, why, why do that to yourself? That's not the point of existence. That's not the point of creating art. The point of art is not to punish ourselves for our shortcomings. It is, in fact, to celebrate our universality and our connectivity with other humans. We're not looking to prove that we're bad. We're looking to elevate ourselves and help everybody be good. And if you're bottling all that up and packaging all that and living around that and not doing anything to move towards your goal, of course you're not going to get there. Let's take this away from writing for a minute. Let's just, let's go talk about sports. I love sports. Let's talk about basketball. I don't know if you like basketball or not. I do. I like basketball quite a bit. I don't care for college basketball. I think it's not physical enough. I think it's too preoccupied with things. But I like the game of basketball. I like pro basketball quite a bit. How do you think you get to pro basketball level play? How do you think you do that? you got to play a lot of basketball. Same is true with, college, with, with football or soccer or hockey. you got to play a lot. And you got to get better as you go so that you can make your team, so that you can advance, so that your team does well, so that you can move forward to the next tier of playing, whatever it might be. You have to work hard. you got to go to the gym. you got to work on your fitness. you got to work on the skills required of your sport. You have to improve those things and perform them well enough to consistently win. Otherwise, they won't keep you on the team. You have to do that. And you have to do that with a goal. You've got an immediate goal of, hey, I'm trying to, you know, just win this game. And a long-term goal, I want to, I want to play professionally. That's a very high level. But if you're not working at it, how are you going to get there? I would love to be professional at something. I'd love to be a pro chess player or um, a pro hockey player if I were bigger or something, or a pro wrestler. I'd love to be a pro wrestling referee. That's been a goal of mine for ages. I'd love to do that. But if I don't take any of those steps to try and figure out how to do that, if I don't go to a wrestling seminar, if I don't talk to people at a wrestling school, if I just only sit down and watch wrestling on my TV screen, how am I supposed to accomplish this goal? I can tell everybody my goal is very important. But what am I doing towards my goal? How am I going to get there? And for a lot of writers... Oh, man, they love to talk about how they're going to be writing. They love to talk about one day when they're done. Oh, Netflix is going to buy my show. I'm calling it into existence. You know, I'm going to get movie deals and, and, and this person and that person and this director. Great. Cool. Good for you. I hope that happens. That'd be awesome if that happens. How's that going? Well, I, I totally sat here and made a TikTok about it. Okay. Neat. Is that helping? Is that helping get words on the page? Is sitting there in Discord talking about your writing helping you get sales? Is sitting on Facebook wondering if this lady is going to stop talking about her kids going to help you sell books? Are, are you getting more words on the page because you're drinking less coffee? 
what's your goal? What's your plan? What's supporting you? What progress are you making? You don't have to fail. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to set an impossible goal just so you can demonstrate to everybody that you're not good enough to do anything. You can show up and do your best. I want you to do your best. Loads of people want you to do your best. Readers want you to do your best. If you believe and you feel in the core of you that your best is not good enough, you are faced with a choice. One, you can quit. If you are of the opinion that your best is not good enough, so there's no point even trying, you will always be disappointed. You'll be disappointed as a writer. You'll be disappointed as whatever the next hobby you pick up is. You'll be disappointed in the next task or direction of your life. You will be disappointed. You'll also be wrong because you're able to do things. Because the other option is you can get better. You can improve. You can learn things. You can be willing to put down your ego and put down your fear and ask yourself, Tougher questions like, am I serious about this? Does this really matter to me or is the fantasy more attractive? Am I scared to try? What would it take for me to commit to this? What would it take for me to stick with this even when it gets hard? What would I need in order to feel good about this? Do I just need somebody like, you know, Every time I say a thing, somebody hits the air horn button. Good news, everyone. That's the wrong button, John. But, you know, like, do you need somebody constantly, like, saying big things at you? Like, do you just need somebody going, yay, you did it? Because that's fine. We can find people who will do that for you. Sure. Do you need to ask more questions? We have to find you opportunities to ask questions then. But you have to be willing to recognize where you're at honestly. Not in a deprecating, I'm a piece of shit, everything sucks, all I do is wrong way. I mean, honestly, where are you really at? I've been writing this first draft for five years. Cool, that's where we're at. No judgment, no predetermination, no decision, no, no, none of that shit. Just where are you at? Um, it, I'm at 3,000 words and I keep talking, every, I've been telling everybody for five years I'm at 100,000 words. Okay. Let's stop doing that and figure out where to go from here. Where are you? What's the goal? What's going to support you towards that goal? What's going to help you make a plan to get there? One step at a time. That's how you get anywhere. But you have to stop judging. That should have been probably problem number six. So many writers are grossly judgmental of themselves and other people, but that's, that's a manufactured problem. That's a, that's an adjacent problem, but they'll sit there and tell you that, Oh, I wrote this garbage today. It's awful. I can't write. I haven't been writing well at all. It's the first draft. Who gives a shit? Did you write? Yes. No. Yeah. You can always be made better. You can always write another draft. You can always try again. It's okay. It's okay to not know what to do. It's okay to say like, I'm stuck. I'm going to come at it tomorrow. I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to take a week off. It's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. You need a plan. You need support. And you need a goal. 
I firmly, 1,000 million percent believe that if you give a writer, I don't care who, any writer, whether it's day one or day one million, if you give them support and you give them a plan and you give them a goal and you set them up well, they will get there and they will be surprised and proud of themselves. It won't be easy. It won't be fast, maybe. But they'll get there. And when they get there, we can celebrate. Good news, everyone. Now it's the right time to press that button, John. Most writers fail from a lack of support. Most writers fail because they let things like overthinking slow them down. Most people undervalue their self, undervalue their work, undervalue their idea, undervalue their ability to continue. They overestimate everybody else and undervalue themselves. They spend too much time thinking about how it's supposed to be as if it were some kind of like lofty ideal rather than just produce what they can. They don't ask enough questions. They don't seek enough support. They confuse presence for support because you can be part of a community and you can be one person among a hundred, one person among a thousand. Support is active. It's talking to each other. It's checking in with each other. It's legitimately giving a shit about the people around you, not just waiting for your chance to talk when they're done talking. And it's not just, oh, well, this is the space we all talk about how it's great. It's going to be later to play a video game. By the way, Spider-Man comes out on Friday. Of course, we're going to talk about it and play it. It's fucking Spider-Man. Support matters because support will help you. And a plan, support will help you collectively. A plan will help you individually. You don't have to quit. Too many people do. You don't have to. Do your best. Do your absolute best. It's not easy. Of course it's not easy. But that doesn't make it bad. You don't only have to be good at easy things. You can be good at tough things. You can work a little bit. You got it in you. You have that ability. You're good enough. It takes time. How much time? I don't know. Depends on how much you do at a time and depends on what your goal is. Loads of factors contribute to that. But it's not like somebody's done faster than you, they're better. They're just done before you. Doesn't matter. But if you have to take anything away from this, any part of this, you need support, you need a plan, you need a goal. And judging any of this or assuming it's automatically bad is wrong. You don't need to do that at all, ever, ever, ever. So with that, I will ask, I will ask if there are any questions from anybody who's here. And yet again, I have no idea how many people are here. I looked at the numbers for the stream earlier today, because this is the second of two streams in a day. And at one point there was one person and then at another point, there were five people. I have no idea. It's random as hell. I don't get it anymore. But I'm going to keep going because my goal is to keep doing this more than my numbers, more than my views, more than my counts. My plan is to produce this stuff. That's my goal. And I have a plan to do that. I plug the microphone in. I start talking. My support? People on Patreon. Patreon.com slash uh, forward slash John helps you write better. I'm tired. It's been a long day. People online. 
friends, family, partners, lovers, amigos, and comrades. Everybody needs support. You deserve support. If you want support, head over to johnhelpsyourwritebetter.com. Head over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash johnhelpsyourwritebetter. Get support. You can do it. You're good enough. Are there any questions? Otherwise, we'll get out of here. I promise there are not two streams tomorrow. I'm tired. Nothing? Shall we get out of here? Off we go then. Yes, I'm going to repeat the outro from the earlier stream. You're not hearing things. Thank you sincerely for being here. Thanks for all of this. It was great. This one meant a lot to me. It was not the most organized. It was not the most like deeply intensive slides, but I love talking about this stuff and I hope it helps. I hope it helps somebody out there. If you need help, ask for it. You're always welcome to get it. You're always good enough for it. Thanks for this. I will uh, be in your ears with the podcast all week. You can search for the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for John Helps You Write Better. It's everywhere. Uh, if you're on Patreon, you can look for more Patreon stuff, uh, not only end of this week uh, with Rock and Rolla, but also uh, season two of Daredevil. And uh, The Meg 2 at some point uh, was supposed to be tonight, but I'm doing this instead. So look for those things in the future. And if you're on the Patreon, uh, you can stare at my stupid face as I use that two-minute video feature. It's amusing to me. All right. I've babbled enough and I'm tired. Thank you for being here. I love you. You're fantastic. All power to all people. I'll talk to you very, very soon. See you.